If you have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. The people of God have just been delivered from 410 or so years of Egyptian bondage. They've been in bondage so long. They've been in the world so long that they've started to learn how to live like the Egyptians and learn how to live like the world. And we see it every day in our communities, in our culture. We see what the world is doing to our children, what the world is doing in our homes, what the world is doing in our schools, and in every institution upon the face of the globe. We see that the world has an agenda. And that agenda does not have your best interest in mind. And don't forget what Jesus said. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world... The love of the Father is not in his heart. And the world passes away with all the lust thereof. But here's the good news. But he that doeth the will of God shall go right on living forever and ever and ever. Thank God for his word. Thank God for his truth. The world, well, what did Paul say in Romans 12? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your heart. Don't let the world get into your heart. Don't let the world get into your mind or into your schedule in such a way you have no time for God. And we're all busy and we all got a million things to do and it, it, it just takes a miracle to be able to rightly divide all our priorities. But God help us and God will help us. Deuteronomy 6, so they just uh, come through uh, the miraculous deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And now Moses is going to remind the people of God, and this is what he said in, in Deuteronomy 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And then he goes on and says, you need to teach them diligently unto your children Talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy head, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates, and it shall be when the Lord thy God has brought thee out. The one thing you don't want to forget is the law and the commandments of God. 
Somebody said, is it possible to obey the Ten Commandments? Yes. If the commandments get in your heart, it is possible. And God will give us the strength and the grace to obey them. And then over in Deuteronomy 10, he says this in verse 12 and 11. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. What Moses said over and over, what Joshua said over and over, when they came out of bondage, whatever you do, don't forget to obey the commandments of God. Many converts ask immediately upon salvation, what does God want me to do? I've asked that question, you've asked that question. It sounds simple, but it's not. What's the purpose of Walmart and Kroger's and Giant Eagle? Some would say to sell food and clothing and housewares. Wrong. Their first priority and purpose is to make money. What does God want his children to do? The Jews looked at all the laws given by Moses, the moral, social, ritual, natural laws in Exodus through Deut Deuteronomy. There were 613 laws that were given to the people of God in the Old Testament, to the literal Jews. If you ask the Presbyterian and other mainstream denominations, they will answer that what God wants us to do is to worship. Some will say to glorify God. The Baptists will say to be saved and get others saved and evangelize. Others will say to be righteous or godlike. And all of those answers would be in the ballpark. But they still leave too much wiggle room. Micah the prophet narrows it down a little more when he says in Micah 6, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With the calves? A year old with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? All of these answers are good, they're right, but there is more straighter and more inclusive answers given by God through Moses and taken to a higher level by our God. What God wants from me and you is a love that obeys. God wants our obedience. 
without obedience, it's all over for you, and it's all over for me. 613 laws, the Ten Commandments, all the principles, all the standards, everything that's in God's Word is there, and it has your best interest and my best interest in mind. Sister Lewis, good to see you this morning. God bless you. We've been praying for you. What God wants for me and you is a love that obeys, love for God, a love for others. And way back in Exodus 20 and 6, when God was giving the Ten Commandments that shows the children of God and what he says, God gives a commandment that shows the children of God the heart and soul of all those 613 commandments, the moral, social, whatever. And this is what it says in Exodus 20 and 6. God is speaking. And God calls himself in the second commandment a God who shows mercy to thousands who love him and keep his commandments. Years later, when Joshua and the people of God had won the land of Canaan, Joshua was about to go to heaven. And Joshua says before he dies in Joshua 22, he says the same thing that Moses commanded the people just before they entered into the promised land. Be careful to observe, to obey the commandments and the law which Moses commanded you. To love the Lord your God and to walk, walk and obey all of his commandments. And then when Jesus himself, when God himself living among us in Jesus, a Bible scholar come up to Jesus one day and say, Master, which of all the commandments is the greatest of all? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. You know what one word, three words, would solve every problem, every heartache, every criminal, every murder, every thief in the entire world. One act would stop it all overnight. Obey your God. The true and living God, of course. Obey the commandments of God. And if this world could ever find the grace and the strength and the wisdom and the salvation to obey the word of God, every evil thing would stop Stop in its tracks. And wouldn't it be wonderful? Satan would be for the first time unemployed. Think about that. <laughs> what does God want from all of us? The answer is clear in the word of God. He wants us to love him and to love our fellow man. And this love is a way of life that obeys. 
In both the Old and the New Testament, God demanded obedience. And we hear folks say it's possible to obey all the commandments of God. Or do we hear folks say it's impossible to obey all the commandments of God. When I got saved, I was a Presbyterian, but I was told that I wasn't perfect. I wasn't going to be able to obey all the commandments of God. I was going to sin more or less every day. And I thought, something don't sound right here. And for 18 months, I got my nose into the Bible. I studied it, and I wanted to find out what God required. And I find out beyond a shadow of a doubt what God required of you, what God requires of me, is this little word, but it's powerful. Holiness. Brother Bob, we're afraid of that word. Like it's an achievement or a level that we can't ever get to because we're human. But God came up with a plan to get himself, his Holy Spirit, and his Son in our hearts to help us rise to that level where we could live pleasing in God's sight. Thank God for that. And yet the laws of God are for our own good, the good of others. If humanity would ever learn to just obey God, that would put the police and the state police and all the civil authorities out of business. That would be the only time it would be right to defund the police. But since men have sin in their hearts, we need civil authorities and lots of laws that have sense and lots of leaders that have sense. By the way, Brother Han, did you have your surgery? How you doing? We prayed for you. I got sick myself. I had to go, you know, I was a mess there for about three days. But when I saw you, I wanted to ask you, so... God bless you. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're better, and you got that behind you. Thank God. When I was in the doctor's office, I had a wonderful conversation with the doctor, and uh, we got to talking about all the things that are going on in this country and all the things that are bad, and this doctor was very, very concerned. And he says to me, you know, he says, I'm a Catholic, but I'm just not happy with the Pope. And I thought, should I just dive in? Anyway, we had a nice conversation. And the man helped me get better. So, thank God for doctors. What motivates us to do right to obey? Fear? Yes. Duties? Yes. But most of all, love, true love seeks the good of the one it loves. God wants our service and obedience, but it must be the duty 
and service of love. And that's exactly what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, 3. He said, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, it profits me nothing. What Paul is saying is we can serve without love. We can profess without love. We can preach and we can sing and we can do this and we can do that without love. But we cannot love without obeying the commandments of our God. John Wesley made this old statement once while he was preaching. He looked at his audience and he said, love God and do as you please. And that was not a call to disobedience. That was not a license to sin. That was not a call to anarchy. Because Wesley knew that the power of the Lord and the power of love would motivate believers to live for God in obedience to his commandments. While our love makes us want to please God, it also means to do as we please, which means to do what we know will please God. Disobedience to God is not to make us long-faced slaves mechanically obeying the rules because we're afraid not to. We obey the laws of God because we know they are right and also because they are for our own good. And for those who want you to think this loving God is just an Old Testament thing, Jesus quoted it for us at the beginning and the end of the New Testament. He said in 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse 20, if a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, doesn't like his brother, doesn't like his mother-in-law, doesn't like his spouse, he is a liar, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And then in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God. How do you know you're really in love with God? This is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. That we obey his commandments. World, religion, stop telling us nobody's perfect. Nobody can obey God. What in the world did God give us commandments for if we can't obey them? Why did God say to this one that got saved and this one that got saved, go and sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you? God's not asking us to do something that's impossible. He made a plan that made it possible for you and I to live above this world, above sin, above the beast, his mark, his number, and his name. The Old New Testament are full of dozens of scriptures that impress upon us that in the word of God, obedience is fundamental and foundational and absolutely essential. Obedience is the bedrock foundation to salvation. 
And the reason I mention this is because in our day, obedience to God is not fundamental in the evangelical Christian community. In fact, it has become almost optional because the general tenor of evangelical preaching today seems to imply you ought to be a good Christian because everybody knows nobody's perfect. Therefore, you don't have to be perfect because we all are sinners more or less every day. You've just given people a license to sin. This is an errant view of New Testament salvation. We are so afraid of work salvation that we leave works out of our salvation altogether. When Jesus called his disciples, he called them to leave everything. He called them to leave sin. The apostle John, after 60 years of walking with the Lord, he wrote this in 1 John 2, 3 and 5. This is a dynamite scripture. And hereby we do know that we know him. How do we know that we know him, that we love him, that our relationship with him is real? How do we know it? If we keep, obey his commandments, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. In verse 5, but whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. What? Can't be perfect. Nobody can be perfect. And John says, this is how we know our love of God can be perfected because we know and we obey his commandments. We're able to reach that level. We're able to achieve and and, and to overcome the world and sin and everything that's in it. By the way, Brother Yoder is going to be with us in the near future. And most of us that know Brother Yoder know he's a premier minister in our fellowship. And I said, Brother Yoder, I want you to come three Sundays in a row, Sunday mornings. And I want you to preach an old-fashioned Holy Ghost holiness message and teach us what really holiness is. This world's a million miles from holiness. Most of the religious world out there doesn't believe holiness is possible. And yet the Bible's holy, our God is holy, and the people in the Bible are are commanded to be holy. James 2 and 1 and verse 20. James adds this and says, faith without works is dead. What kind of works is James talking about? He's talking about faith 
that has obedience attached to it. And he gives us three vivid illustrations in James. He said, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily feud and you ignore them, then your faith and your love is dead. That's what James said. And then he said, Abraham was justified by works when he did what? Obeyed God and offered up his son Isaac on Mount Moriah and when he did that, his faith, coupled with his obedience, made him, in God's eyes, perfect. And then he gave a third illustration about Rahab, the harlot, who saved by her works of obedience the people of God that went in to spy the city, and she showed them a way escape. And you know what happened when she had the faith to obey what the men of God said? She and her whole family was spared from destruction. Obedience in God's word is put upon a pedestal for the simple reason it's foundational for salvation. And it's foundational for you and I to get to heaven. Nobody is going to disobey this book. Disobey the commandments of God. And just walk into heaven. On God's supposed amazing grace. Grace nowhere in the Bible winks, ignores the commandments of God. There's not enough grace in the world that can ignore disobedience to God's word. I know this raises the bar high. And it raises a lot of questions. But what a lot of people don't understand about holiness, they don't know what holiness really is, and they don't know what sin really is. And thus, a lot of people need to be taught how the Word of God deals with these areas that you and I might think are gray or might be very puzzling to our thinking. God wants us to be good people, faithful, dependable, and available for the kingdom of God's needs. He wants us to give priority to the things of God just as he gave us priority in John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave us the priority. God so loved the world. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God gave his only begotten son. He wants us to live by the principle of love and the golden rule out in the world. He also wants us to worship and work for him through the church. We owe the church, and believe me, we do. We owe the church our time. 
The Hebrew writer exhorts, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We are to provoke one another to love and good works. The more we see what's going on out here in the world, getting closer and closer and closer to our homes, to our families, to our children, we are to provoke one another to love and good works. What, what are you talking about? We see what's going out in this world. We see what's going on in the communities. We see the raw murdering. We see the shootings. We see the rapes. We see the cartels. We see the drugs coming in, killing 100,000 of our kids every year. We see all of this thing, and we want to hate. We get mad. You want to punch somebody. You want to slap somebody. You want to spit at somebody. We have to remind one another. You, you, you can hate the sin, but don't hate the sinner. Why? Because God made him. God was the manufacturer of that sinner. And God never intended for that sinner to go off the rails. And sure, his sin is going to be annoying and it's going to be uh, unpleasing to us, displeasing to us. We owe the church not only our time, and a lot of us are way behind in that. We owe the church our talents. When you came into the world, God gave you a talent. He gave you special abilities. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 1 Corinthians 12.7, Paul says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. God doesn't give you a gift to go in your closet and start praying in tongues. Do you hear me? He gave you the gift so everybody can benefit. Gave you the gift of works and the gift of helps and the gifts of teaching, and the gifts of preaching, and the gifts of singing, and the gifts of giving, so you can be a blessing to others. What's going on in this country, in the churches in central Ohio, in this city, and in Columbus? I've listened, I've watched their services, totally out of control. Amen? A scripture just come to my mind. Can't wait to read it. I learned it from Brother Wilson. It just, I just can't quote it. Uh, let's see. Where is it? 
I'm getting there. Ah. Aida. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. If God gives you the gift of tongues, you're going to speak in somebody else's dialect. You're not going to do the heebie-jeebies. You're not going to disassociate your mind from your tongue. Your tongue goes one way and your mind goes another. It's not a sign of the gift of the Holy Spirit. That doctrine is sweeping the land and it's deceiving millions. And don't forget what the revelation said. Come out of her, my people. And don't think God's missing the mark when he says, and touch not the unclean thing. There's unclean spirits working through religion. And they're vulgar. What a beautiful sound. That little baby's letting her mama know, Mommy, I need you. We owe the church our talents. First Peter 4 10. Let me t- listen. Well, forget it. First Peter 4.10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister. Okay. No matter how you read the Bible, obedience emerges as a very important and disobedience emerges with severe consequences. A young soldier in the army just couldn't bring himself to eat beets. He gagged at the very thought of eating beets. And in the U.S. Army mess halls, they have a law that what you want Take what you want, excuse me, but eat what you take. So one day in the chow hall, this soldier, this private, wasn't paying attention, and the server dropped four plump beets on his tray. He knew he wasn't going to eat them, so he covered them with his napkin. He ate the rest of his food, and he got up to leave, and a corporal walked up to him and said, Private, eat those beets. The private refused, and they argued. And when the corporal promised official discipline for the insubordination in disobeying disobeying a direct order, a chaplain saw what was happening, and he took the private aside, and he said, Son, that corporal cannot make you eat those beets. Your company commander, the base commander, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the president of the United States cannot make you eat those beets. But son, I want you to realize something. They can make you wish you had. 
It's the same way with God, folks. He cannot and does not want to make us do anything. He's a God that honors our free moral agency. You don't have to live for God. You can choose to go to hell. It'll break his heart, but he don't want you to go. But from the authority of the word of God, I promise you this. The chaplain goes on to say, life and eternity will make you wish you had eaten those beets. Never forget that part of Israel's commands involves sacrifice. The whole book of Leviticus runs red with the blood of bulls and goats and, and birds and this and that and the other thing. Because they disobeyed God's law. And God wanted them to feel sorry for their sin. So thousands and thousands of animals had to be sacrificed. But now in the New Testament, it is God who gives the sacrifice for the world's sins. He gave his only begotten son. It's not the blood of bulls and goats that saves souls today. It's the sacrifice of God's dear son. And in Acts 17, 29, standing on Mars Hill, preaching to the philosophers of Athens with all of their idols, Paul says, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver, or stone, or graven by art, or by man's devices. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now here's an even sadder verse, sadder words. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9, there were people who were troubling the saints. They were evil. They were giving them a hard time. And Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 1, and he says, And to you who are troubled, troubled by the world, troubled by the sins, troubled by your enemies, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance upon them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power? Is obedience important? You can't get around it. I can't get around it. Just as a parent will scream at a child who's in the street, who is about to be run down by a truck, she doesn't look at the child from a distance and suggest or advise or invite that child to get up and run. She commands him with every ounce of emotion and every energy, and she screams out, Run! The same is true with God. 
He sees sin and judgment and hell bearing down on sinners and he commands them like a loving parent to run for their lives. Save yourselves from the sun toward generation. But more than that, in his son, God allows Jesus to stand in the path of sin, judgment, and hell and lets them roll right over him while he's on the cross. Why obey God? Why is obedience the heart and soul of this message? The gospel message? It's the only way from you and I being dragged away to a lost eternity. And we can fall on our knees this morning and thank God. That's the way it is between a child and a parent who really cares for his children's character and welfare. And that's the way it is between God and our Heavenly Father. When God delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, he couldn't wait to give them that land flowing with milk and honey. When they crossed the Red Sea and went into the wilderness, they went to Kadesh Barnea and they sent spies. God was ready to take them into the promised land. Yet something, <coughs> he had something better for them. He had something greater for them. He couldn't wait. God couldn't wait to bless him. He couldn't wait to get them into that land flowing with milk and honey. It was the pathway to multiple blessings and the more abundant life. But you know what happened? Their disobedience canceled everything. What the children of God couldn't grasp and what many children of God today cannot grasp is this type that was given to us in the Old Testament that was fulfilled in a spiritual sense in the New Testament. Couldn't grasp in the wilderness, what the children of God couldn't grasp in the wilderness was that it was much better to work and fight their enemies in Canaan than to just lay around in the wilderness homeless, weak, and waiting day after day for their manna to fall right out of heaven, right at their tent doors. And for their disobedience and rebellion, they wandered in wilderness state for 40 years. They got so excited when their manna meals falling three times a day and God showing up in the cloud by day for, for, for shade. And then showing up with the pillar of fire at night to give them the heat they needed from the chilly nights. They couldn't imagine there was anything greater in life ahead of them than having it made in the shade of the wilderness. A lot of Christians have plateaued. They're in a church. Church where here? Church there? Church everywhere? They're getting by. The preacher's doing the preaching. Somebody else is doing the singing. 
This is why many believers never grow into maturity. They would rather hang on to the lesser blessings than to risk receiving the more abundant land, the more abundant life that was available in the land flowing with milk and honey. And this is the reason I'm afraid the vast majority of believers do not move into maturity because they are unwilling to put on Christ and discipline themselves to do the spiritual work that makes them Christ-like in their own lives and tear down the walls they have erected to hide behind rather than deal with the giants of fear and rebellion and unbelief and sin and the bondage mentality they brought with them out of Egypt. And so many of them never escaped the wilderness. And they became content to walk around for 40 years and just go to funerals. And every once in a while, grab that free manna that was air expressed right to their tent doors. Every so often, they got a little manna high and a manna banana pie and a manna cotty, and a manna buffet, and a manna lasting for 40 years. And all they had to do was walk around in circles for 40 years, never experiencing anything exciting, anything new, anything godlike, anything holy, just sitting in that dead denomination for 40 years, thinking they were living a dream, till they woke up, realized that they were about to receive a nightmare. You want to be careful. You don't develop a manna mentality where you remain in infancy and die in the wilderness, never experiencing spiritual maturity. I thought about that doctor, brilliant man, several years of schooling, but he doesn't see the danger. Doesn't see the danger that he's in. And millions and millions of Christians are content with a manna mentality. Content with just getting by. Content with somebody else pulling the wagon. Somebody else playing the piano. Somebody else singing in the choir. Somebody else doing this. It's a mentality that came out of Egypt. It's one thing to go through infancy and look at the ignorance that there is in religion today from the very top echelons of our society to the very bottom. You got people out there by the millions cursing God, using God's name in vain, cheating, committing adultery, lying, swearing, doing this, doing that, but they've got a religious label and they're convinced they're going to heaven and they're going straight into hell. It's a terrible mentality. And it's one thing to go through infancy and immaturity and remain children. 
But if we have to part your mustache to give you a bottle, something's wrong. Amen? So what's going on out there? People come into a church of God, hear a church of God message, they look at me like I got seven heads and ten horns. They're so far removed in America from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a tragedy. Your souls, your kids' souls, our souls is at stake this morning. Maturity is defined by the ability to delay gratification, by the ability to put off the temporary pleasures. Justin, you can come for eternal gain. God knew if they didn't get out of the wilderness... The manna mania, living a false dream, they would have to be buried in the wilderness. God helps those who labor together with him. So when the children of Israel got into the, I want you to listen, when they got into the promised land, the Bible said the freebies, the manna ceased. The only thing the manna did was keep them alive, but it was spoiling them the whole time. But God had to keep them alive because he was just. But they were rebellion. They were complaining. They were monsters to pastor. God helps those who labor together with him. So when the children of Israel got into the land of promise, the manna ceased. Because now they were mature enough to fight, to overcome their enemies, to gather their own food, plant their own field, plant their vineyards, build their houses, and defeat their enemies. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. If you work, you eat. If you don't, you starve. Maturity is defined by responsibility. Maturity means you don't depend upon other people for your provisions. You can't be living on everybody else's revelations or everybody else's blessings or be a spiritual, be, be on spiritual life support from, from the church. The Bible says that when they crossed over into the promised land, they did eat the fruit of the land. God was trying to get them to forget all that Egyptian mentality. Leaving the description, excuse me, leaving the deception of the wilderness. What happens when God moves us out of the wilderness? Take notice. Leaving the deception of the wilderness was calling into play a principle for New Testament living, New Testament salvation. And what did Jesus Christ come to bring? He came and he brought a salvation. He brought a deliverance from sin. But what comes into play is now... This salvation 
places demands upon believers. If you love me, keep my commandments. That means you can't shack up with somebody and hold any kind of position in God's church. You can't use the Lord's name in vain and teach Sunday school. You can't lay out of church for no good reasons and be good leaders. You can't work in the kingdom of God anywhere and wear miniskirts. God will cancel you. You can't rob God of his tithes and call yourself a Christian because, because God will send Marley's ghost to make a call upon you at three in the morning and lay a Holy Ghost demand upon you asking, what's in your wallet, Scrooge? Amen? And while there will be times when we become very weary and well with well-doing, we understand the importance of discipline in our walk with God and the significant role it plays in our lives to keep the fires of God burning. What do you do when you don't feel like serving God? When you don't feel like opening your Bible? When you don't feel like praying? When you don't feel like worshiping God? When you feel like you have hit a wall, when you don't even feel like being around people, I hear that all the time. There's people that don't come to this church because they can't be around people. And one of the mistakes a lot of Christians make is thinking that passion can rescue them. But passion is something we see in January right after we make our New Year's resolutions or when we're all in the gym trying to work out and lose weight. But discipline is what you continue doing when your feelings have faded away, when you've lost the thrill of being in God's presence. Let your discipline keep you in church, keep you in revivals, keep you in camp meetings, keep you in prayer meetings, because your soul and the soul of your children is at stake. We're disobeying God grossly when we do what we want to do and not what the book says to do. Man, I hope this sinks in. Discipline is what we continue doing when we're feelings have faded away, when we've lost the thrill. Let your discipline keep you in church. Let your discipline keep you on your knees praying unto God. Let your discipline keep your nose in the Bible and keep your knees and your faith on the narrow way. That means sometimes you've got to put away the worldly music you've got in your life, which is unbecoming to the Holy Spirit. Music that is sensual and vulgar and stimulating to your flesh. 
You may have to put away certain movies which are not spiritually healthy to watch. You may have to put away people from your life, influences that pull you away from God, schedules that rob your time. You may have to trim everything legitimate, even legitimate interests. You got to work to stay saved. And don't let no Baptist say, oh, don't give me that works religion. That works religion without faith is dead. And faith without works is dead. God wants you and I to get home safely. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody that has fallen short. Maybe you're just overwhelmed with everything that's going on. It's understandable. You're worried about your grandkids. You're worried about your children. You're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. We know we're in the hands of people that don't have any sense. But God's still in control. God's still on the throne. And God is still omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient. That means God got power like nobody else has. But we go through our low times and our depressing times. And we get overwhelmed. And sometimes we're not always hitting on eight cylinders. Sometimes we're struggling to each get in church or get into two or three nights of revival or getting to a prayer meeting. But I want to encourage you. Ask God to put the fire under you and cause you to have a love for obeying God. The only thing that's going to get us out of it, church. If ever there was a time to obey God, it's right now with darkness all around us. Now's the time to be sharp. And it can happen to any of us. We all hit our slumps. We all go through our valleys. We all get frustrated. But you can't throw the towel in. You can't give up. You got to keep walking. You hear me? You got to keep walking in the light. And as long as you're in the light of God, you'll know which direction to go. You'll know who to follow and who not to follow. And you'll know that you're a child of God because it doesn't grieve you to keep his commandments. Hey, anybody need to pray? This will be a good time. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a verse. It's just a whisker after 1130. You've been a great audience. God bless you. Page 214. Anybody needs to pray, you come on. We got time to pray. Take a minute or two to pray. If not, we're going to let you go.